You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. I'm Shelly. And I'm Eric, and this is episode 36. Yes, hello, my gruesome addicts. We're back for another episode, and let's just get into it, right? Yep. You ready? Um, but by the way, se- there's several people in this story, so let me know if you get confused and need clarification. I try to do my best to kind of go back and tell you guys who these people are and who they're related to, so you can remember who they are, if that makes any sense. But it will later on. Just let me know if you... Need clarification, though. Me? Yes. Exactly. Because they couldn't let you know. Huh? Because they couldn't let you know. Yeah. What do you mean? Let's get into <laughs> it. <laughs> Let's do it. This is the story of the Hi-Fi murders. The day was April 22nd, 1974 in Ogden, Utah. 20-year-old Stanley Walker and 18-year-old Michelle Ansley were working at their local Hi-Fi store located at 2323 Washington Boulevard. In case you need to know the address. Go and visit it. And this hi-fi store is known for selling home audio equipment, hence the name High Fidelity. They were just about to close up for the night when, unbeknownst to them, six men came into the parking lot in two different vans. Four of them got out of the vehicles and made their way into the hi-fi store. Once inside, the men with handguns took Stanley and Michelle down to the basement and they bound them. They tied them up in the basement pretty much. The men went back upstairs and started to rob the place because after all, that was their intention because they wanted to just, because, you know, this place is full of really, uh, you know, really expensive equipment and stuff. So who are these men, are you asking? There are two men outside in the getaway cars, but we only know one man and his name is Keith Roberts. Inside the store, we are not exactly sure who two of the men are, but we know that they, they pretty much robbed the store and then I don't know if they got spooked, they got scared, what happened, but they just booked it. They got in one of the getaway cars and they took off. So left inside was Dale Pierre and William Andrews. As Dale and William now had two hostages, Michelle and Stanley, they were trying to figure out what to do next when a 16-year-old boy, Courtney Nasbitt, came into the store. Earlier in the day, he had actually asked Stanley if he could park his car in the back of their shop. And Stanley was totally cool with it, so he let him do it. So Courtney came back to get his car. He made his way through the shop looking for Stanley just to thank him for letting him park his car back there. But he unfortunately came across Dale and William. They also took him hostage and tied him up and bound him in the basement. Shortly after... Orrin Walker, who is Stanley's father, Stanley again is the employee there, his father was expecting him home after Stanley's shift, but he never returned home, so his father decided to go to the store and check up on his son to see what was going on. When he arrived, the door was still unlocked to the hi-fi store, and they seemed open, obviously, because Stanley and Michelle never had the chance to lock up the store. Well, there was no Stanley, but there was Dale and William, who took him also down to the basement where his son was and tied him up as well. Unfortunately, Courtney's mother, Carol Nasbitt, also arrived at the store looking for her son. And that's when she, again, comes across Dale and William, and they take her down to the basement and tie her up as well. So now they have five people hostage. And Dale has a sick plan for these five people. He tells William to go get something out of the van, and when he comes back, Dale takes it from him and starts pouring this liquid into a cup, 
And he tells Oren, again, who is uh, Stanley's father, the man that, yeah, the young man that works at Hi-Fi, he tells Oren to start pouring it down like everyone's throats that down there, like the five hostages. I mean, he's one of them. So he, he's like poured into all four of their mouths pretty much. But Oren was like, hell no, I'm not doing that. So Dale bound and gagged Oren and like shoved him face down. Dale and William then forced their hostages to sit upright so they could force them to drink what they said was vodka laced with sleeping pills. The second after the liquid was poured into their mouths, blisters were forming all over their lips, their tongues, and their throats were burning. The skin from their mouths like started to peel off. So I'm pretty sure it's not vodka and sleeping pills, right? Jesus. I know. What Dale had actually poured into their mouths was Drano, a coercive drain cleaner. As they were all suffering from what the Drano was doing to their bodies, Dale and William decided to duct tape their mouths shut so like nothing could get out or like spill out of their mouths so that what they would shut up to because they were like screaming and everything. But it didn't help because their skin was like peeling off and the tape wouldn't like stick to their face. Fuck. Yeah. How horrifying is that? Since Orin was bound and gagged after not giving all the hostages, you know, the Drano, he was the last to drink it, but he was scared after seeing what was happening to everyone. So somehow he was able to like fake drinking the Drano and just acted as if he had actually drunk it. And he started just like convulse and scream as, you know, the hostages, you know, the other hostages were doing. And he had to watch his like son doing this too while he's like faking all of it too, which is just horrifying. Dale was getting angry though because everyone was just taking so long to die and they were being loud and it was really messy. So Dale, you know, like I said, they all had handguns. He um, decided that it was a faster way to just end it by just shooting them. So Dale first shot Carol and Courtney Nasbitt, which were mother and son. Um, he shot them in the back of the head. Both of them in the back of the head. Which is so fucking stupid to me. Like I just said, he was like, they're being too loud because they're screaming and stuff like that. So you decide to shoot them because yeah. that's quieter. I'm not. Con- I'm. I don't get it. It's confusing. <laughs> After shooting them, Dale shot at Orin, but he missed. And then he pointed the gun at Stanley and shot him, just killing him on the spot. Dale shot at Orin again, but just grazed the back of his head. And as you can tell, Dale was the man pretty much behind the majority of this plan. How the fuck you missed that close? I have no idea. I have no idea. Twice. <laughs> I really don't know. Uh, William just wanted to pretty much rob the store and just get out. He, I mean, he did have the intention, like, if he didn't want to leave any survivors if they saw him. But his real plan was just, like, to pretty much rob the store and get out. But that didn't happen. After Dale barely missed Oren, he went after the store worker, Michelle. He forced her at gunpoint to the corner of the basement and demanded she take off her clothes. He then told William to leave them for 30 minutes, and that's when Dale proceeded to rape her. After he was done raping her, he let her go to the bathroom as he watched. Then he dragged her back to where the other hostages were while she was still naked, threw her face down, and shot her in the back of the head. Like, what a fucking piece of shit. That pisses me off. It was at this point that Dale and William noticed that Oren was still alive, so they both grabbed him, wrapped a wire around his neck, and pulled tight. But Oren was fighting so hard that they couldn't strangle him. Like, this is horrifying. Dale... This is horrifying. Dale takes a ballpoint pen, shoves it into Oren's ear, and stomped on it, puncturing his eardrum. The pen broke, and it exited through his throat. So he's now been shot at twice, Tried to get, you know, was almost strangled and then now is having a fucking pen shoved in his ear and puncturing his eardrum. Ugh. 
they left him there and then they went back upstairs to the store to finish gathering all the stolen goods and put it into their van. And once they did that, they just took off. They left everyone downstairs in the basement and took off. Three hours had passed when Orrin's wife, Joyce, and her and their other son, Lynn, started to worry that Orrin wasn't home and neither was Stanley. So they decided to go to the store and find out what was going on, you know, or where they were. Once they arrived at the hi-fi store, Lynn, Orrin's other son, heard noises coming from the basement, so he broke down the door while Joyce called the police. Once police and medical services arrived, they found Stanley and Michelle, the two who had worked, the employees at the hi-fi store, they were already dead. Carol, who was Courtney's mother, was taken to St. Benedict's Hospital, which I guess now is called Ogden Regional Medical Center. But once they arrived, she was already pronounced dead. Her son, Courtney, was also shot in the back of the head, and he wasn't expected to live, but he did survive, although he suffered from severe and irreparable brain damage. Courtney was released from the hospital after 266 days. Oren, who is Stanley's father, survived, but he had horrible, like, huge burns to his mouth and his chin from the Drano. And remember that pen that he, like, punk- got punctured into his ear, uh, his eardrum? So his ear was just pretty much damaged for the rest of his life. Shortly after the news came out about the robberies and the murder, an anonymous caller stated that he was an Air Force employee and that a man by the name of William Andrews had told him months prior to this crime that, quote, one of these days I'm going to rob that hi-fi shop, and if anybody gets in the way, I'm going to kill them, end quote. That's what I was kind of stating later. It's like, yeah, (laughs) like he was kind of in, you know, to murdering people if they got in his way, so... It wasn't just about robbing. William and Dale had actually met one another in the Hill Air Force Base in Utah, working as helicopter mechanics. They both had a history of crime, so they made this plan up together to rob the hi-fi store. And obviously, like I was saying, they have plenty of expensive items to steal there. So that was their main goal. They ended up recruiting Keith somewhere along the way to help as a getaway driver for them and set off to commit this crime after they scoped out this place like days prior to April 22nd. So this is how this anonymous caller knew William. Um, Dale and William were still stationed at the Hill Air Force Base. Not only did police get that call, but they received another call from two boys who were looking through dumpsters near the Air Force Base. They had actually come across a couple of wallets and purses, and they thought it was kind of weird, so they contacted police. Upon arrival, police started to look through the dumpsters, and... It like really attracted a bunch of people because they're like, what the hell's going on? There's all these police like they were in, really interested in what's going on. Right. So more and more people just started showing up and police were like, well, maybe the murders in the crowd, you know, you hear that shit all the time. Right. Murders go yeah. back to the potential crime scene. And so as they were like, as police were discovering all these items in the trash cans, they wanted to make it kind of dramatic to almost like maybe worry the people that might have been involved that might be in the crowd so once they found something in like the dumpster they went with their tongs whatever they grab it and like wave it in the air and people were just like it was kind of quiet but people were like talking like what you know like what's going on so yeah like the crowd was mostly quiet and there were three men in the crowd that seemed like frantic they were pacing around talking really loudly and just based on that fact these men were actually arrested and it was dale Pierre, William Andrews, and Keith Roberts. What a Robert. bunch of fucking idiots. Literally. You fucking kill all those people in gruesome ways, and you still stick around, like... And you can't act... I mean, not... They're fucking idiots, and I'm glad they are. But it's like, you can't just act part of the fucking crowd. <laughs> like, you just got caught because you're acting like a dumbass. I'm so glad they were, though. 
Police got a search warrant for their barracks and they found plenty of evidence. They found flyers for the hi-fi shop as well as a contract from a public storage facility. Investigators received another search warrant for the storage unit and they found some damning evidence. Inside were, was like stereo equipment from the hi-fi shop because they got like the uh, serial numbers yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah, so they, later on they identified them as from the hi-fi shop and they found a half-empty bottle of Drano. The three men were charged with first-degree murder and aggravated robbery. On November 16, 1974, Dale and William were convicted of all charges and both were sentenced to death. I'm assuming because Keith robbed the store was the getaway driver, but he wasn't involved in the murders is why he was only convicted of robbery. He was sentenced to five years to life in prison, but he was later paroled in 1987 after spending 13 years in prison. Keith was only 19 years old at the time of the robbery. After he was paroled, he moved to Chandler, Oklahoma to uh, live with his relatives. He later died by suicide on August 8th, 1992. Dale was only 21 years old at the time of the murders. He was now 34 years old and was finally to be executed by lethal injection on August 28th, 1987. Weird little side note. He gave all his money to William before he died. He gave him a whopping $29. Damn. Yeah. He uh, also declined his last meal and said he spent his last day on earth fasting, praying, singing, and reading the Bible. What a way to do What? Why would you want a last meal? I don't want like... To fast and pray to God so you're forgiven for maliciously fucking killing so many fucking people just for some stereo equipment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Religion makes sense. (laughs) His last words were, quote, thank you. I'm just going to say my prayers. I'll be glad when this is over, unquote. William was only 19 years old at the time of the crimes, but after 18 years on death row, he was about to be executed. His last meal was a banana split, and his last words were, quote, thank those who tried so hard to keep me alive. I hope they continue to fight for equal justice what? after I'm gone. Tell my family goodbye, and I love them, unquote. Yeah, Okay. Like, you deserve to be fought for, motherfucker. William was 37 years old when he was executed by lethal injection on July 30th, 1992. Dale and William were known to be the most hated prisoners in Utah State Prison. Uh, Actually, a convicted murderer by the name of Gary Gilmore was reported to have, like, passed by Dale and William's cells, saying things like, quote, I'll see you in hell, Pierre and Andrews, and, uh, quote, adios, Pierre and Andrews, I'll be seeing you directly, unquote. So let's go back to the victims and the surviving, you know, surviving um, people in the story for a minute. Sherry Michelle Ansley, who went by Michelle, she was the Hi-Fi store employee. She was born January 28th, 1956. She had actually just been hired to work at this shop only a week prior to the murders. fucked up. I know. And she was recently engaged and she was planning on getting married on August 5th, 1974, the same year that she passed away. She was only 18 years old, like I had mentioned. Byron Courtney Nasbitt, who went by Courtney, was born September 25th, 1957. He was only 16 years old when he passed. He was attending Ogden High School. Like I mentioned, Courtney did survive, but he suffered from amnesia. He was able to graduate from high school in 1976, but due to all the brain damage, he had to actually drop out of college. Damn. I know. He had to live the rest of his life on Social Security after that because he couldn't really keep a steady job 
because, you know, of all the damage. He did marry Catherine Hunter on November 15th, 1985, and he lived to be 44 years old before he died on June 4th, 2002, after suffering from chronic pain since the Hi-Fi murders. I'm not exactly sure what he passed away from, but very young still. Carol Nasbitt, who is Courtney's mother, was born December 25th, 1921. She had been a resident of Ogden pretty much her whole entire life. Carol attended the University of Utah and Utah State University. She's part of the Alpha Chi Omega. Carol was only 52 years old when she passed. Um, Stanley Walker was the other employee at the Hi-Fi shop, was born March 19th, 1954. He graduated from Ben Lomond High School. And later he attended Weber State College in 1973. He was an elder as well as a basketball coach for the 10th LDS Ward. Stanley was only 20 years old when he had passed away. Lastly, Orrin Walker, Stanley's father, was born September 17th, 1930. He was only 43 years old at the time of the murders. Orrin did testify in court and he stated that Dale was a sadist and he deserved to die. I don't blame him. He also stated, quote, after he shot Miss Nasbitt first, then he was kind of prancing and walking in a manner that I got the impression he was kind of enjoying what he was doing. This has been hard for me. It's hard for me to believe that I was ever involved with this. My son Stanley's life was taken with two shots and Drano. He tried five different times to kill me. Each one could have been lethal. It certainly has changed our lives, unquote. Oren also stated that his son Lynn is traumatized by his brother's murder, so he slept on a mattress in his parents' room. Like for a while after the murders, and he refused to go in their basement at their home. Damn. I know. That's got to be terrifying, because he was the one pretty much, he knocked down the door and found all of them, you know? Um, he also said that his, um, Orrin said that his wife, Joyce, just stayed in bed all the time, because she was just trying to forget what happened to her son, pretty much. And according to Orrin, when he testified, he also stated that Michelle, the, the employee, her last words were, quote, I'm too young to die. So that's horrifying. Oren later died on February 13th, 2000 at 69 years old. And that is the end of the story of the horrific murders at the hi-fi shop. It's just so sad that, I mean, all of them are really young and they didn't deserve to suffer as much as they did. It's freaking terrifying. And on top of that, it's just so crazy how these two fucking men got Michelle and Stanley like as hostages and then just like one after another these people just kept coming in and then, you know, either they were murdered or they were severely injured. They have to live the rest of their lives. I mean, a lot of them, I think majority of them are all dead now, but like, you know, they live their lives knowing about this whole thing and, you know, their loved ones yeah. getting murdered in such a horrific way. It's so sad. Um, just a little, also a side note. Have you ever seen the movie Magnum Force with uh, Clint Eastwood and Clint? Clint. <laughs> Clint Eastwood and Margaret Avery? Margaret. Margaret Avery, I think her name is. Have you ever seen that? Probably a while ago. I've never seen it. But I read that um, in the movie, there's a prostitute played by Margaret, I Margaret Avery, and she was forced to drink Drano, and I guess she just drops dead. So they were like, well, that's a great idea if we're going to go rob the store. That's where they got the idea from. Yes, exactly. And they thought they were just going to fucking drop dead, but obviously didn't. They suffer first. Yeah, exactly. And that's why he's like, it's taking too long. Like in the movie, you just saw, like, what a fucking idiot, yeah. fucking losers. Like, Fuck the lethal injection. <laughs> they should have made him drink Drano and shoved pins in their fucking ears. Right? Oh my God. Seriously. Yeah, we need to change so this whole justice system around where we fucking torture people first. Yeah, they deserve that shit. That's yeah. not fair that 
Yeah. They, like that one. You need, I need to get justice still. Like, no, fuck you. You needed to get what they fucking got. Yeah. <laughs> Not cool. Ugh. This case is wild. Anyways, that's it. Until next Monday. Thanks for listening, everyone. We truly appreciate it. Now yes. I'm fucking pissed off. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's time to edit it, though. Nah. You can hear it all over again. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Stay safe. Be aware. Love you guys.